0: Welcome to the teaching ministry of Bay Ridge Christian Church. This teaching is from the series, The Advent Promise. This year, in celebration of Advent, we will be focusing on some aspect of the giving and fulfillment of God's promise to redeem and restore from the fall and its effects. Today's text is going to be from the book of Exodus, chapter 1, verses 11 to 14. Again, that's gonna be Exodus chapter one, verses 11 to 14. I'm gonna be using the New International Version. It'll be up here on the screen. It's also on the little uh, fold-out cards that you get each week. And we're gonna be covering a a pretty broad swath of scripture as well, so everything will be up on the screens as you follow along. So Exodus chapter one, verses 11 to 14. Hear now the words of the sovereign and faithful and true God. So they put slave masters over them to oppress them with forced labor. And they built Python and Ramses as store cities for Pharaoh. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. So the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites and work them ruthlessly. They made their lives bitter with hard labor and brick and mortar and with all kinds of work in the fields and all their hard labor, the Egyptians used them ruthlessly. When uh, I was a XO of a company in the Marine Corps, we used to take our young guys out on runs and one of the things we sometimes did was we would take them on what looked to be a familiar run that would be like a three mile run but when we would come near the end, instead of stopping, we would just keep going. And you could hear the muttering that would start behind us because they had thought the run was over and then they discovered they had no idea how long the run was now going to go. And you might ask, why did we do that? Well, it's because we were maladjusted and cruel and we just like <laughs> using Marines, that's, that's why we did it. But, but there were other reasons besides that. Uh, What we were trying to do was to test them to keep pushing because the way life works a lot of times, you don't know when the end is. And they would settle into something and think they were nearing the end and the only way to keep them pressing on was letting them know you you don't know when the end is going to come. Now I bring that up because we see this principle, we find it often true in life and it's also true in the fulfillment of God's promises. And so, a question for you and I as we're talking about the Advent promise this year is what happens when the fulfillment of God's promises seems to be delayed? How do you and I respond to that delay? Well, let's kind of dive in and look. Now, I want to back up before we come to Exodus because, you know, this is the beginning of the book of Exodus. But it's assuming that you really are familiar with the story in Genesis. And you remember last week, we had seen that very on, early on, God had promised a seed to redeem, to rescue, and to restore. Our text last week was Genesis 3.15. And in that text, God says, he's speaking a curse on the serpent, uh, who is the, the embodiment of Satan. And he says, and I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers, he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. And remember, this great promise came right in the midst, in the wake of our treason and treachery. And God had given a promise at that moment, as as the fall was fresh, God gave a promise that Satan would not win, but in fact would be crushed. And that this was going to be done by one who was going to be a seed of the woman, an offspring of the woman, one who the the woman was going to give birth to, that was going to come through her line, was going to accomplish this great work. But Eve is very much like us because if you continue on just the next couple of verses and you get to Genesis chapter 4, Eve gives birth to a young man named Cain. And she says, she names him that because she says, with the help of the Lord, I've brought forth this man. And the way Eve puts it makes many scholars think, Eve thought, this is the fulfillment of the promise. God said it was going to happen. I've given birth to a child. Yes, it was painful. We are out of Eden. Everything that God said is true. But this is the end. The promise has been given. And now the promise is going to be fulfilled. Of course, you don't even get off that page of Scripture when you find out far from being the seed who would crush Satan Cain himself becomes allied with Satan and kills his righteous brother Abel. And so we discover there very early on that the promise is going to be fulfilled, but it will not be in our timing. And as you move forward in the book of Genesis, the promised seed, we're later told, is going to come through Abraham. And you remember we also talked last week about Genesis chapter 12, and this really important passage where God, speaks to Abram and he says, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I'll make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. And then the Lord refers to the seed in verse seven. and He says, and the Lord appeared to Abram and said to your offspring or seed or descendant, it's all the same word, to your Zerah, I will give this land. And so Abram builds uh, an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. So God promises, remember this five times. He says, I'm gonna bless you. This covenant is about blessing. I have not forgotten the word I had spoken back in Eden in the the place of blessing and you were cast out of that. I promised I was gonna work redemption and I'm telling you, Abram, it's gonna come through you, through one of your descendants and there is going to be blessing five times over. He speaks it and that blessing is gonna come through you and it's gonna come through your descendant. And Abram also believes, when he hears this as a young man, and he's still living in Ur of the Chaldees. he thinks it's going to happen quickly. But of course, as you follow the story in Genesis, we discover that not just years, but decades later, the promise seems to be unfulfilled. And in fact, Abram, of course, if you know the story, ends up laying with Hagar and we get Ishmael and we get all kinds of issues and problems. And at one point, God just says, I, I, I can't, I mean, Abram just says, I can't take this anymore. God, why don't you put your blessing on Ishmael? It's not going to come some other way. And God still says, no, I'm gonna bring forth the seed I promised to you, but it's not Ishmael. Sarah, you remember, even laughs at it. And who can blame them? Because they were old by this time. The, the promise they had been given seems to have failed it has been delayed so long but eventually god brings forth isaac from abraham and he promises that the blessing is going to come through isaac so it it's gone down another generation in genesis chapter 22 verses 17 and 18 god says to isaac and notice it's the the abrahamic covenant spoken again he says i will surely bless you back to that theme and i will make your descendants your offspring your seed it's the same word as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies and through your offspring through your seed all nations on earth will be blessed so notice it's everything that was in the abrahamic covenant but God says i'm now making it with you isaac i haven't forgotten the promise yes it's an, it's another generation down but the promise is still in view. And so the blessing is now going to be given to and through Isaac and future offspring, but the, the idea of the single seed is still there. This descendant, this seed that Paul points out so accurate in Galatians 3 that it's not numerous, it's a singular word. It's through a, a seed, God is promising to bring blessing. And the story then moves forward in Genesis. All of this is the backdrop to our text in Exodus. And next of course we get isaac and then we have jacob and esau and there's a huge question that how can it be jacob because if you honestly read the book of genesis how many of you have ever read the story of jacob and had the thought man i wouldn't want that dude to live within 500 miles of me i mean jacob comes out of the womb fighting grabbing a hold of esau's heel and he is that way constantly this guy is scheming constantly But amazingly enough, the schemer, the deceiver, Jacob is the one that God says, the promise continues, it may seem to be delayed to you all, but I have not forgotten. For in Genesis 28, verses 13 to 15, uh, Jacob has had to flee the promised land, and he has a dream and in the dream, he sees the, the ladder, the, the stairs going to heaven, and angels of God are ascending and descending. And we read, starting in verse 13, "'There above it stood the Lord, and he said, "'I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham, and the God of Isaac. "'I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. "'Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, "'and you will spread out to the west and the east, to the north and the south. "'All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring.'" And I'm with you, Jacob. I'm going to watch over you. So notice it's a restatement of the promise. I'm going to bless. And everybody's going to be blessed through you and your seed. Same promise as it was to Isaac. Same promise as was to Abraham. And this promise, we need to understand, through all of this long time, it was still burning brightly because this is why Ab- I mean uh, Jacob kept scheming and deceiving. He wanted to be the one who received that covenant blessing. He wanted to be the one who was the heir through whom the seed was going to come. And so he deceived Esau. He even deceived Isaac to get it. And at that point, of course, he had to flee. And that's when God appears to him because the promise seems to be going nowhere. Instead of inheriting the land of promise, Jacob's now going back to where the whole story had started. And it seems like the thing is just on an endless Repeat, but God is renewing the covenant. He is carrying and bringing it forward. He's saying, look, I have not forgotten the promise. And amazingly, with Jacob, one thing that starts to happen is, at this point in the story, the number of offspring actually finally starts to grow. With Abraham, there had been Isaac, and with Isaac, there was Jacob and Esau. But now, all of a sudden, we read that Jacob's got 12 children, and it's growing But unfortunately, by the end of the book of Genesis, as we come to our text in Exodus, they're back out of the promised land. And they've been sent down to Egypt because family rivalry has broken out. Brothers have sold another brother into Egypt. Famine has come, and they're again away from the land of promise. So you're left with this huge question at the end of Genesis. We've been all the way from the promise in Genesis 3.15, but we don't seem to be any closer to the seed actually coming and doing the work and so that's why this idea is the advent promise being delayed and we see in the book of exodus that the advent promise is delayed first off in time and we can forget this when we turn to the book of exodus because of course in our bibles we just flip from genesis to exodus and it's a quick one page but the reality is the time frame between the promises being given and when Exodus is opening up is 400 years. Now, I want you to think about this. That means that the people we're reading about, Moses, whom we're going to read about, is as far away from the covenant promises being given to Abraham as you are from the pilgrims' landing. Now, How many of you daily recite all the great stuff about the pilgrims? I mean, that just seems like distant history, right? But that's how long it's been. Four hundred years, and they are in Egypt. So there's a huge delay in the promise. But God is still at work. In Exodus 1, verses 6 and 7, we read that, Now Joseph and all his brothers and all that generation died, but the Israelites were fruitful and multiplied greatly and became exceedingly numerous so that the land was filled with them. So even though the ultimate fulfillment had not come, God was blessing his people and he was giving them a taste of the blessing that was to come because on the way to the one seed, God had said, I'm gonna make you as numerous as the dust in the earth, as the stars in the sky. And suddenly for the first time, they were starting to see that. They're seeing kind of a foretaste that God is saying, I know my promise, I am going to keep my promise, remember that. And so for you and I, it's important to understand that often the fulfillment of God's promises seems to be delayed. But along the way, we need to keep our eyes open to the blessings that he gives us to sustain us on the journey. At this point, Israel could look at a lot of things that were wrong, and we're gonna see in a moment they're very tempted to do that. But God was also giving little signs that the blessings I promised are coming true. They are happening. You may not be in the land of promise. You may be oppressed, as we're about to see, but you are becoming numerous. You are seeing me fulfill my word just as I had promised. But so first off, the promise was delayed in time. But even worse for Israel, the promise is delayed by opposition. This is our text today in Exodus one eleven. So with that whole backdrop, it's been hundreds of years. And from the original giving of the promise, it's been a couple thousand years. And Israel is there. And there's not only the time problem, but now they are being positively opposed. And it seems like the powers of earth are arrayed and stopping God's promise from being fulfilled. Notice in Exodus 1, 11 to 14, our text, it speaks in verse 11 about the slave masters oppressing them. And in verse 12, it says, the more they were oppressed. In verse 13, it speaks about them being used ruthlessly. Verse 14, their lives are bitter. And it speaks of hard labor. In fact, it speaks of hard labor twice. And it sums it up again. It says the Egyptians were using them ruthlessly i dare say would anybody like to sign up and say if this is your lot nobody wants that do they oppression bitter a hard labor being used ruthlessly by the people who are over you so when god had told them all the way back in the garden there was going to be struggle in fulfilling the advent promise it was really clear that part of the promise was coming true there was struggle, there was problem, there was difficulty. And so the Egyptians are oppressing them, they're making their life hard with bitter and ruthless, hard labor. And so notice here, you've you got to remember this, we've just turned the page, but it's 400 years. And after 400 years, the situation seems to be getting worse, not better. If you're sitting there and you are living in the time of Exodus 1, you're not saying we're getting closer and closer. It's like you're looking at the GPS in the car and the destination keeps getting further and further away. The more you follow the directions, the further away it seems to be going. So how is God's promise going to be fulfilled? And the tension that we are invited into in this story is, would Israel cling to her the covenant promise and to her covenant identity, or would she trade it for temporal ease? Is she going to forget the promises of God and simply try to get by, or is she going to cling to who she is and what God has promised her? And this is something we can relate to because the delay in the fulfillment of God's word of promise oftentimes leads to doubt and even to despair. Have any of you ever experienced that, where you believe God has promised you something, but it seems so delayed, and then there arises opposition, and you can't see how it can happen, and then you're left saying, well, I just, I'm just i not even sure if this is going to happen. How can it be true? But Exodus is telling us, no, God is faithful the promise may be delayed but it is never forgotten it is never completely and utterly derailed and so that's what God is doing here and he wants us to understand what he's doing for Israel I want us to take a look at verse 12 because there's a reason why this is happening God could have fulfilled it with Cain but the delay in the promise is meant for our good and for God's glory You can almost always look to find those two things in what God is doing. It is for His glory and our good. Notice in verse 12 the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. There's a principle here that the time of oppression actually caused Israel to increase. They didn't decrease, it didn't crush them. Instead of stopping the covenant promise, which is what's going on, ultimately, Satan is aware that the seed is coming. And we'll talk about this a little bit more next week. But notice, I mean, it looks in the time of Noah like it is over. There's all the dangers with the seed Uh, under Isaac and Jacob and they're lured down to Egypt and now they're there and now we've got them trying to get the midwives to kill all the Hebrew children and they're trying to slaughter them all because it's all an attempt to stop the seed. It's an attempt to stop the covenant promise. But what verse 12 is reminding us is the more that they were oppressed, the more that those things rose up to stop it, actually the more the promise was fulfilled. The very pressure that was being brought to bear to crush them and to stop the promise was actually God's means of accomplishing the promise. God was at work in the midst of this. And so in fact, the growth in Israel was proportionate to the struggle they were experiencing. Now, if you're honest, that's not a pleasant statement that I just said. We we don't like that. Let's be honest. Nobody likes facing opposition. Nobody likes pressure and struggle. But growth is proportionate to pressure and struggle. There is no growth without struggle and testing. And in fact, if you read the story and you follow through, the closer it gets to God bringing them out and going to take them down to the promised land and fulfill that aspect of the promise, the closer they get, the worse it gets. You remember when God sends Moses, who's a precursor, a foreshadowing of the seed, do things get better or worse when Moses shows up? Remember, it gets worse. Pharaoh says, you all are lazy, so I wanna, you're going to keep the same quota, but now, instead of us delivering the materials for making bricks, you're going to have to go out and get the materials yourself, but you still got to make the same amount. And at one point, if you read in Exodus 5, the people are basically like, Moses, would you go away? Ever since you came and told us you were part of the fulfillment of the promises, it has only gotten worse. But see, that is because there is no growth without struggle and testing. It simply doesn't happen. If you think about it in any other area of life, it's true. It's true with physical exercise or labor. How many of you know if you try to get your body in better shape, it's not a pleasant experience? Okay, it's not. So that's why people always laugh. You know, you see runners running down the road and they're never smiling. And if you are smiling, it means you're doing nothing. The great American hope is how can I accomplish this and get better at it without paying a price? And we will spend billions on those promises. Here's how you can get in better shape or you can lose weight or you can gain this new skill and it requires nothing of you except for three payments in 1995. And it doesn't work because there's a principle that there is no growth without struggle and testing. It does not happen. And so the time between the giving of God's promise and its fulfillment is often attended by great difficulties because what God is doing is He's testing our faith and He's shaping our character. If He promises and we get it the next moment, there is no testing, our faith does not grow, and our character is not shaped. Parents think about what it's like with your kids, and you'll understand the exact way that God is working and treating us. And so, in fact, if you really follow through, and, and uh, he had a a great chapter in the the devotional guide we're using, uh, "Behold the Lamb of God," called you know walking with a limp, and he's referencing that story. And you remember when Jacob is coming back into the Promised Land, and it's another one of these aspects of trying to fulfill it. And he wrestles with the angel of the Lord. And at the end of it, the angel of the Lord strikes him on the hip, and it says it knocks it out of socket. And Jacob walks with a limp for the rest of his life. Let me tell you, friends, if you really walk with God, and you want to see God fulfill promises in your life, you're going to walk with a limp. And in fact, don't trust somebody who doesn't walk with a limp. Because the only thing you can learn out of that is, they have never wrestled with God. They have never had to walk through these periods of delay and struggle, times of disappointment, difficulty, and danger. But when you do, you walk with a limp for the rest of your life, but you never forget God's word or promise to you. When you have wrestled like that, you know God is faithful. And that's what God is doing. He is building our faith. He is shaping our character. And if you want to think about it in another aspect, just to keep talking about the different ways and why this is so important. Has the church generally prospered in times of persecution or times of ease? I know that's not pleasant. But it is true in the Scripture. It is true in the history of the church. And it's true in your personal walk and mine. Okay? It is oftentimes in times of intense struggle and persecution and difficulty that there is growth individually and as a church. So all of that works for our good because we're becoming more like Jesus. We're growing in our faith. But it also works for God's glory because if you are Israel sitting there in Exodus chapter 1 in our text today, you're not sitting around saying, you know, I can figure this out. If we just get a little small committee together, we'll work this out. What hope is there of the promise being fulfilled at that point? There is no hope unless Almighty God shows up and says, you know, like, I'm going to send a bunch of plagues, I'm going to part seas, you're going to walk through, there's going to be pillars of fire, I'm going to feed you. There is no hope of the promise being fulfilled at this point, which is why it's to the glory of God. Because at the end of it all, there is no other explanation. This is why, unbelieving people look at this story and say, well, that's all a myth. That didn't really happen because things like a couple million people leaving their bondage and their slavery and all of these plagues and like the Red Sea parting, they don't happen. Well, nobody's saying they happen all the time. In fact, we're saying they happened like once. In all the history of the universe, they happened once because God was working to fulfill his promise. And the entire point is, there was no other way to explain this. It is only God and his work. And so God allows a delay, not only for our good to shape and form and fashion us, but because at the end of it all, there is no other explanation than God did this. Glory be to God. So what does this mean for us? How do we apply this? a question or two, and then we're going to come to the table. The obvious question as we think through this and we look at a text like Ephesians 1, I mean, excuse me, Exodus 1, is how do I respond when God's promises are delayed? Because this is the thing. I've gone through all of this section here of the story in these early chapters because you can see this over and over and over again. We can forward through the rest of Scripture and see the same thing. The normal pattern in the fulfillment of God's promises is delay, not doing it immediately. In fact, it's basically miraculous if God does do it immediately. And that's going to be true in your life as well as mine. God may speak a word of promise to you and to me. He may speak a word of promise to us as a congregation, but the normal pattern is expect delay. So, And there's very good reasons for it. But, of course, the problem is when we experience delay, does that produce joy or does it produce doubt and discouragement? So that's what it produces. And it did for the Israelites. I'm going to put a scripture up, Exodus 6, 9, and we'll leave this up for the rest of the applying the word time. Moses has heard from Yahweh. I mean, he's already doing the miracles. All of this is going on, but he comes back to the Israelites in Exodus 6.9 and says, Moses reported this to the Israelites, and God has said, I have not forgotten. All the promises I said, I'm going to do. I've been paying attention to what's happened to you. I am coming to deliver and save you. And here's what happens. Moses reports that to the Israelites, but they did not listen to him because of their discouragement and cruel bondage. Now, let's be honest. Can you relate to that? Man, when it is tough and everything is falling apart, it is very easy to doubt and to become discouraged. And notice there's discouragement because you can't even see the promises due to the circumstances and delay. And before we jump in and blame these folks, 400 years 400. This is so far in the past. And all of our circumstances say it just doesn't seem to be true. And so they are discouraged because what they can see is what's going on around them. I can see the guy that's over me. I can feel the lash of the whip on my back. I just can't see the promise anymore. I can't hear that word sustaining me. And then notice the other part, because it's because of their discouragement, we're told, they don't even listen to him. Moses is repeating the promise, but they're saying, I can't even listen to that. I can't even hear that anymore. In the doubt, they no longer even listen to the promise. And then what happens is, if discouragement leads to doubt, the outcome, if it's not checked, is just simply disobedience. I just simply don't live in light of that anymore. That no longer shapes and forms who I am as a person. So here's the question that this story brings to you and me then. First, has the delay led to discouragement in my life? Because whatever you're wrestling through in life, whatever promise God gives you, and ultimately, even the promise when we look in Scripture, you remember in 2 Peter 3, around verse 9, Peter writes and says, you know, there's a lot of people that look and say, we've been waiting for this. God's been saying he's going to do this, but it's been so long. I just don't think that it's going to happen. And Peter says they're deliberately forgetting what God has already done. But we can find ourselves in that place. God promised to do all of this. I mean, so back in the garden, he said he was going to bring the seed, and Jesus came. That's what we're celebrating during Advent. But I walk out these doors, and it's still a mess out there. It's a broken Mass, And, you know, as a, as a Christian who's been walking with Jesus for about four decades now, I naively assumed I was going to hit a certain place in my life where it was cruise control and everything was easy. And I thought, you know, well, once I get through and the kids are raised, it's just going to be me and Linda. She's easy to get along with. Life's good. And then you find out it's not that way. That's not the way it is, no, no. Let me be clear, let me be clear. It is that Linda is easy to live with, that's still true. Or else I'll be sleeping in the lobby tonight. No. She's very easy to live with, but you know what? I, I, I don't have to look hard to find evidence that all of God's promise to crush Satan's head is not yet true friends it's a broken world just look at the headlines i you know my iphone i can swipe all the way to the left and see the news and i and i almost dread to do that because it's not good it's a mess it's a disaster out there and that can lead to discouragement, because it's what I see around me. So the question for us is, as we're observing this, as we're seeing what's around us, does it lead to discouragement? And I just say, I'm just discouraged. I I don't know if this is gonna come true or not. Whether that is God's promise regarding redeeming and restoring the world, or if it's a particular spoken promise to you. I've shared before, you know, when I was here as a midshipman, and I... And one of the few times in my life, believe I, I vir- virtually almost audibly heard God tell me, you are going to go in the Marine Corps, you're gonna get out, you're gonna come back to Annapolis, you're gonna come back to what was then known as New Covenant Church at Cedar Hill, and I'm gonna, one day, you're gonna be a shepherd of God's people. And 14 years later, I remember walking down the hallway at work with the friend who became an elder here later, some of y'all remember Perry, And looking at him, almost broken in tears and saying, what do you do if you've built your entire life believing God told you something and now I think I'm wrong? And that was months before it was actually fulfilled. But friends, I was was discouraged because I heard the promise, I charted out my course and it kept getting further away. Has it led to discouragement? Secondly, and even worse, has the delay led to doubt in my life? Because, see, it was discouragement, and then I began to say, I'm not even sure that this was true. I think I might have given up my career in the Marine Corps, which I really liked, and came back here, and I don't think this is going to happen. I think I was wrong. What do I do about this? Has it led to doubt? we're honestly, okay, let's stop playing religious games. I sit down in the quiet and God says, do you believe my word of promise? And if I'm honest, I say, no, I really don't believe that. Because that's what 400 years can do to you as a people. And it's what 14 years can do to us or sometimes 14 months. It can really do that. Am I in a place of doubt? And finally, for some of us, has the delay just led to outright disobedience? I'm just not walking the way God calls me to walk because I doubt it and because I'm discouraged. This is just simply taking a lot longer than I thought it was gonna take. And most of us know if you watch the great stories, you don't have to just read the story in Scripture. We see this over and over in life. You know, when we watch movies about great people and great things they did, they're not usually 20-minute movies. And it's not usually, I've got this dream, next scene, it's done. That's just not usually how it is. Okay, usually there's all this mess and they are discouraged and they are doubting And sometimes they become just nasty people along the way because they've just given up hope. And so that can happen to you and to me. And so has it simply reached the point where I was discouraged and then I doubted and then you know what? I just disobey. I just live the way I want to live because you know what it does? God said this, but it's not happening. So if he's not doing his part of the bargain, I'm just not gonna do mine. Now I know y'all have not done that, I have done that, okay? I'm challenged with that. It's hard, especially if you go through significant periods of delay and struggle. So, is this true for me? If God's word comes today, do I say, I want to hear it, but I'm discouraged, I'm doubting? I just don't want to hear that. I don't want to hear that anymore. Is that where I'm at? Well, what we're going to do is we're going to come to the table of remembrance. Because here's the key in the midst of that. Here's what I cannot do for you is tell you when you walk through those doors and you swipe left on your iPhone, all the news is going to be good. You're going to turn on tomorrow and you're going to find out that suddenly every man in America has become chaste and pure in the way he treats women. You're going to find that people are keeping their word. Politicians aren't saying stupid things. They're actually doing what they promised. All that's going to be true. I can't tell you that. And that's not the solution to our discouragement, our doubting, and our disobedience. Here's the solution the key to sustaining faith and resisting doubt, discouragement, and disobedience is to regularly remember and recount God's story of promise because God has been faithful. Israel was sitting there and they could look. They had gone down into Egypt to 70 and they were now a multitude. God was being faithful. God was sending the prophet Moses and telling him, I did not forget what I told you. It's been going, it's been rolling from Genesis 3.15 on. I have not forgotten my word. And the same thing is true for you and me. And so as we come to this table What we're actually doing is we are recounting the fulfillment of God's promise of redemption. We have not seen everything. Part of Advent, as I said last week, is actually we're looking forward to the second coming of Jesus, because that's when everything is going to get fixed. But how do I maintain hope for that? Because it's not on the news, okay? And by the way, a lot of what you see on your Facebook feed that this is fulfillment of prophecy, no, it's not. That's just silliness okay? How how do I sustain my hope in it? Because God has already fulfilled with broken body and shed blood to work redemption for you and I. The seed has come and has worked salvation for us. And the same seed who came and did that will return and he will accomplish what he has promised every last piece. And so friends, we don't sustain faith by looking at circumstances around us. You don't sustain faith by looking within and trying to work out. You sustain faith by looking outside and saying, God has been faithful. He promised a seed was going to come, and that seed did come. He promised He was going to work redemption for us, and He did come and He worked redemption for us. And He has brought us into the covenant people. And now it's not just a multitude of people coming from Jacob. It's people from every tribe and language and nation that are being brought in. God has kept His Word. And that, as we recount it, stirs us in faith It encourages us and it causes us to walk in obedience rather than disobedience. So I encourage us to come to the table today and I want to encourage you to be open and honest with God. If you are here and you are struggling with doubt, tell him. Here's one thing I can tell you, he will not be shocked. He will not say, I had no idea. If you're discouraged, doubting, tell him. If you've been disobedient, just tell him. Confess. Repent. Because it's already been paid for. And the good news is that text we were just looking at where Israel was in that place, did God say, that's it. Moses, I'm just going to take you. You go leave them there in Egypt. Is that what he did? He worked redemption. Passover lamb and he brought them out. And so if you're in a place of doubt and discouragement and disobedience, just like Israel, that's where you're at in your journey, confess it to God and receive strength. I want to encourage you that if you are here and you are a visitor, that you do not have to be a member of our church to participate at this table. You do have to be a believer in the Lord Jesus. And that means that you recognize your only hope of salvation is Jesus' broken body and shed blood. There is no other hope. You and I add nothing but sin. He gives us righteousness. If you believe that, then please partake with us. For what I receive from the Lord, I also pass on to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he'd given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this, in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup. He said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out so that your sins may be forgiven. Drink from this, all of you, in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Father, this morning we thank you for what a faithful God you are. And Lord, I pray for us that whatever our place, Father, you would meet us by your Holy Spirit. Lord, we do not come to this table simply for bread and juice. Lord, we come for you to speak and to minister to us and to pour grace and strength into us by your Holy Spirit. So, Lord, Meet your people at your table of grace and remembrance. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. As you get the elements, hold on to them. We will take them together in just a couple of moments. And I encourage you again, let the Lord speak to you wherever you're at relative to any of these promises and then receive grace and strength from him. Lord Jesus, as we hold this bread, we do so because we recognize that you coming, which we are celebrating in this season, you coming and taking flesh and living in our place and dying in our place, being broken in our place, all of that was the fulfillment of the great Advent promise. Lord, you promised in the garden, in the midst of our treasonous betrayal, that you would come and work redemption. And Lord, in holding this bread, we are professing and proclaiming that we believe that you have done that. Lord, we believe that you were conceived of the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, you lived, You suffered under Pontius Pilate. and You were crucified, dead, and buried. And on the third day, you were raised for us. And so, Lord, in taking this bread, we profess our faith that you are the seed who was to come and to work redemption for us. And we say thanks be to God for the salvation of Jesus Christ. Take and eat. Lord, as we hold the cup, we are reminded, Lord Jesus, that though we do believe, we are like the Father in the Gospels that has to say, I believe, help my unbelief. Father, very often we find ourselves just like the people of Israel, heirs of the covenant promise, but finding ourselves discouraged, doubting, and disobeying. And so Lord, as we take this cup, we confess that the delay, Lord, between your first coming and your second coming, the delay in the good things you have promised to us personally in our lives, the delay in seeing righteousness worked in our own lives and the lives of those we love, it can have a corrosive effect on our souls. And so, Lord, we don't want to be those who, like the children of Israel, simply couldn't hear because we were too discouraged. We were too doubting. We just couldn't hear your word. Father, I pray that you would break through by your Holy Spirit and shatter that that surrounds our ears and that we would hear. Father, we take this cup that represents the blood of Jesus Christ and we thank you that you not only cleansed us from our sins in the past when we became part of your people, but that the blood of Jesus is sufficient for all of our sins, past, present, and future. And so, Lord, we lift up this cup, the cup of salvation, and we say thanks be to God for the precious blood of Jesus Christ that cleanses us from all our sin. Take and drink. Jesus, I pray for us as we go forth from this place this week, that as we recount the story, as we are in your word, that you would stir up encouragement rather than discouragement, faith rather than doubt, obedience rather than disobedience. Lord, you tell us when we come to this table that we do this until you come. And so, Lord, there is an aspect of us looking forward to that second coming. And so, Jesus, we pray, we want to be found faithful until you come, whether that is a coming for us in our own death or should we survive until you burst through the clouds and come. Lord, we want to be those who are faithful and a faithless generation. So, Lord, I pray that by your Holy Spirit this week, you would stir that up within us. Father, I pray for every one of us who may be struggling, Lord, because it's just been a tough week, month, or year. Lord, it might have been a tough decade. Father, I pray for us that by your Holy Spirit you would strengthen and you would encourage, you would remind us of the good promises of our good God and that that would shape us and form us and fashion us so that we would live out of gratitude to your glory and our good. We ask that you would do this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together for a word of benediction. As we do, I did want to thank, actually, if you notice up here on the table, Beth Lenehan made all of the stuff that is now covering our table and making it look so nice. And I want to thank Beth for doing that. It was a, it's a huge blessing uh, that she did that. You can come by and see it later. And make sure you thank her. We We survive week by week as a congregation because everybody's participating using their gifts, and we are really grateful for that. So now I want you to receive the blessing of God. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you a spirit of unity among yourselves as you follow Christ Jesus, so that with one heart and one mouth you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Go forth full of his spirit under the blessings of our God. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the teaching ministry of Bay Ridge Christian Church. For more teachings and resources, please visit www.brcc.church.